Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. Well, Sid, I thought for sure we'd be able to talk about something else by now. If you had asked me in the halcyon days of mid-February, I would have mm-hmm. said, no way will we still be talking about coronavirus in April, I, I mid-April. Think, I think that I would have, I thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. But here we I don't are. like to admit when I'm wrong. That's hard for me. That's very hard for me. <laughs> no kidding. I, I didn't this think. is new information i'm learning now about <laughs> you my wife of 15 years nearly you don't like to admit when you're wrong you know who may have known Hold better. On, i gotta update this chart okay. i keep on uh-huh. you uh-huh you know who may have known better justin who uh dr anthony fauci oh yeah i love that cat yeah it looks like uh this year you you may lose sexiest man alive again Ugh. <sighs> robbery highway it's, robbery there seems to be a big movement to uh get dr fauci that not only the sexiest man alive i don't know him personally but he does not from my research of him he does not seem like the type to really care about such distinctions i you know what i really like about anthony fauci is in the press conferences as things have gone on there has become i feel like and you see it when anybody asks a a, a, a harder question there's a real uh uh from trump there's a real ask your mom energy with, with it's like i'd love to let you get out there let me hold on you got to ask your mom though. let's see what mom says and then fauci's like no no you can't you can't do any of that he's, like well you heard your mom i don't know what to tell you he's trying to play he's trying to play the parks and rec roblo and the the whole energy that him and ben have when they're like yeah right you know <laughs> oh man that sounds great i don't know let me let me check with ben no way except way less likable though yeah way less than roblo Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Anthony Fauci is a is a hot topic uh, in the in the news. Uh, people get very nervous when he's not around. I, I would say at any time. Yes, I wanted to talk. This entire episode isn't just about Dr. Fauci, although I do I did want to talk about him a little bit because we'd gotten a few requests to like who who is this guy? Because even though in in the world of infectious disease and the NIH and you know people who follow that scientific community he's a he's a giant outside of that world you may not be as familiar with who he is what his role is and why some of us just watch these press conferences desperately awaiting the moment that he will arrive yes so I thought that was worth covering a little bit about who he is and then I wanted to address we've gotten a lot of emails I didn't 
ask for coronavirus questions, but I appreciate getting them because it tells me what people are thinking about and wondering and want to know information about. And there have been a few topics specifically that keep coming up in emails. Just, hey, have you thought about this? Just addressing this one issue. And so I wanted to get into some of the like misinformation that's out there Mm -hmm. because as we said last week, this is a time where snake oil would be rampant. And I think I've gotten a lot of supporting documentation of that in the last week and i and i just to address something else that that a a couple people have have emailed or tweeted about and i wanted to to address real quick um i know that there is a lot of coronavirus stuff out there and i'm sure there are people for whom it would be um it's less than ideal to continue to have the show be about coronavirus but i think sid and i've talked a lot about it and Honestly, when we're in the middle of a public health crisis and misinformation and staying ahead of that misinformation and educating the the public is such a important thing to do right now, it feels weird to not be talking about this because there's so much new information every week. Um, not talking about it seems very strange to, to us. Um, it seems like kind of shirking our duties for a little bit. So we, we, we will get back to the your regularly scheduled uh, programming, I, I think, as soon as we can. But right now, just it, it it would feel wrong to do so. On a personal note, it's all I can. It's all that's in my head right now, too. So it's really hard for me to step outside of it and tell you fun, kind of gross, weird stories from the past when this is happening right now. So, and there are many of those on offer. Uh, uh, we have over three hundred episodes. You can go back and enjoy. As if it's the first time. You don't remember the bloodletting episode word for word. Do you go on back? Start at the beginning. Uh, okay. Dr. Anthony Fauci. So first Who does not all, sound like you think he's going to when you just see pictures and video of him. He does. You do not expect that man's accent. The, 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 yeah. uh, the, the thick sort of New York accent. Yeah. You do not expect. Uh, I, I really, through my readings about him, grown to appreciate him. Um, I consider him now uh, a friend, a friend of the show, a close friend. <laughs> he's he's in the Pliny the Elder realm, and Dr. Louis Lasagna. I, I think Dr. Anthony Fauci can join. Can't top the <laughs> name though. Can't top the name. Can't beat Louis Lasagna. <laughs> uh, so he is the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, which you probably didn't think about a lot before this. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff like well, that. Well, unless you're me, then you may have actually. A lot of our listeners maybe did. He's been in that position for 36 years. I read, so he was he was appointed to that position in 84. And when I read that, that my first thought was, that was the year after I was born. Yeah. Almost my entire life, he's been in that role. And I say that to underscore that he's worked with Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and now Trump. So he's been there a long time through a lot of, you know, presidential administrations through a lot of different political philosophies and leanings because at the core of it, he considers himself a science guy, which does not have a political party or should not. Should not. Should not. So uh, as we've alluded to, he was born in Brooklyn, Christmas Eve, 1940. Uh, He worked, his parents owned a pharmacy Mm -hmm. and he would make deliveries for the pharmacy on his bike so he basically is george bailey so far well the pharmacy wasn't george bailey's parents they of course owned the bailey building and loan but I yes he did make deliveries sick. for the pharmacy I know that i know for mr gowers was the pharmacist okay moving on 
I just it, it I I I know a lot. And, about well, that. he also wasn't born on Christmas Eve. He died on Christmas Eve. If you want to get like snippy about it, Sydney. <laughs> anyway, when he was younger, and I think this is relevant uh, for me. This this helps me decide, like when I'm thinking about a person and um, how much stock I put into all of their expertise. I like to know that it's not just they know the facts and the science. I like to know about the heart that's underneath there. That helps mm. me personally and some other people may be similar. He actually was really interested in the humanities when he was younger. Mm. He leaned toward the humanities. Uh, a lot of his family members were in the humanities. Um, but he also... By that you mean... By humanities you mean like... Like uh, the classics and philosophy and religious studies right. and languages and gotcha. those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, art. Uh, those those sorts of pursuits, not necessarily scientific pursuits. Uh, but he also was interested in science and he eventually landed on medicine because he felt it melded the two. Mm. And I really appreciate that perspective. I think we should think about that more. But uh, he studied both the classics and philosophy and, and all the romance languages and all that stuff, as well as the science classes that he needed for med school, which I think gives him a really unique perspective mm -hmm. and stuff. He's still part of like the American Philosophical Society, huh. which I think is interesting. He probably doesn't have a lot of time for that right now, but I'm glad to hear he's <laughs> keeping up his dues. I would say dues. he seems like the kind of guy who has, he can make time for all the things he needs to do. Mm -hmm. I think he works like 18 hour days. He needs to take it easy. <laughs> I need him to be okay. <laughs> he's a giant. Uh, he he immediately went from Cornell into the public health services, and he would and he basically worked with them through the NIH until today. So he spent his entire career after he finished residency. He has been doing this. Uh, he liked infectious disease because you could save lives. Hmm. People were really sick, and if you did the right things, you could make them better and save their life. That's noble. And that is a nice thing about infectious disease. He and when he went in, it's interesting because you see this kind of turning point in the history of of medicine, and we've talked about it a little bit on the show. There was a time period where we thought we had conquered infectious diseases, hmm. where there's actually all these great essays written in after the antibiotic era, where you see people saying, "Well, I mean, there's still polio, which is a problem, but basically, other than polio." We nailed we, it. We good. Like we have antibiotics. Now we have vaccines. We're good forever. That's fine. You know, and, and then by the time he entered actually this field right at the beginning of the 80s, he, people really thought he even thought maybe I'm going into an area of research that is done. <laughs> and of course, what would happen soon after he, you know, join the the nih and started working in public health is the hiv epidemic mm. so obviously this would be proven wrong um his i think it's relevant to note that his early work he did a lot of uh research into the immune system because at the national cancer institute they were using these new chemotherapeutic agents which would help with the cancer but also as a side effect would just devastate the immune system, right? Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of them do. They suppress your immune system and leave you open to other infections. Uh, he saw that as a, well, what if we took these drugs and use them for things like vasculitis, which is your immune system attacking you? Mm. We could suppress your own immune system intentionally. And instead of a side effect, we'll do it to try to treat disease. And this 
line of thinking, him and the other researchers involved, led to all kinds of new treatments for lupus, for rheumatoid arthritis, for um, the rejection of organ transplants, all those kinds of things. Mm. So I think that it's it's relevant to know that his background in not just infectious diseases, but also the human immune system and immunology and the suppression of the immune system made him just the perfect person when a new disease began to be recognized in the 80s in the United States that was occurring largely among gay men. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the researcher who said, we should look into this. And a lot of people at the agency were saying, why do we know this is not where our area of interest or study is like, mm -hmm. no, no. And this is a marginalized part of society and we're not interested in this. And he was one of the ones like leading the charge, like publishing the papers saying we need to pay attention to this. Yeah. This is a pro this is big. This is going to be big. Um, and uh, he, he really, he would create the agency that would dedicate itself to studying HIV and AIDS, um, helping to prove the link first of all, between HIV and AIDS, and then come up with ways to manage it. Um, and beyond that, I think it's really interesting to know that when he first started working on uh, HIV and AIDS research, um, he was actually hated by a lot of the activist community. Mm. Like if you look at, uh, you know, ACT UP and the gay men's health crisis and like Larry Kramer specifically, they hated Fauci. A lot of the protests at, of the time period were not just aimed at the Reagan administration, but were aimed at him specifically. Hmm. Like there were lines in songs that referenced Fauci because they hated him so much, mainly because not of anything that he said or did specifically, but they felt that the process to get new drugs to the market for AIDS patients was so slow and plotting and arduous mm -hmm. that it was resulting in too many unnecessary deaths, which is all, <laughs> this is all true. This mm -hmm. is not, I mean, I say they think that they thought that, well, this was, this was all true. Accurate. <laughs> yeah. This is all accurate. And uh, one of the big problems is that if you had tried an experimental drug before a trial, they wouldn't let you into a trial. Mm. And a lot of, uh, AIDS patients were seeking out these medications for themselves because they there were medicines that they knew were working, but they couldn't get them. And so when they could, they would try them and then they would get excluded from trials for other medications, oh, okay. which was a huge problem. And you really see this kind of change in Fauci where he listens to Larry Kramer. He works with uh, Mark Harrington, who is a, a key figure in ACT UP. And he, he starts working with all of these activists and saying, you know what? I get it. If I were them, I would be doing the same thing. Um, of course they feel this way. And his his mindset as this kind of like very rigid scientist really shifted to there has to be more of a humanistic quality to, to the way we address things. Um, we can't just say, well... This is our process for approving a drug. We have to go through these steps. And yes, it's going to take years, but too bad. We have to find a way to address a crisis. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he was really the researcher who led that charge. He owes, and he will, he would say this to today. I've, I've read interviews with him recently. The activists were the ones who made the change. He was smart enough to listen to them mm -hmm. and help apply those principles to you know, the scientific community. 
And so as a result, he came up with something that they called the parallel track, which was basically instead of the way that you approve a drug is you have to prove you come up with the drug, then you have to prove that it's safe first. Then you have to prove that it's effective second. Then you start doing trials in large numbers of humans to see about other side effects or adverse events that you didn't necessarily predict earlier on before it, it is finally approved. This process takes years. Mm-hmm. What he came up with was the idea that if we know a drug is safe, we can do clinical trials with it, but also get it out to the patients who need it the most once we know it's safe. Mm. Um, because there were drugs that we we had a very strong suspicion were effective and we weren't getting them to the right people. Mm. So he was instrumental in, in creating that and in helping get people medications faster to try to save lives, you know. Uh, and and he would build on this in later years, everything that he did with HIV to help create PEPFAR to take these HIV drugs that we eventually would have in the U.S. that would be widely, you know, um, acquirable by United States citizens and say, hey, what about the developing world where they don't have any of these medications? Mm-hmm. So he would build on this throughout his career. Um, but it, it's really interesting because you see a scientist who recognizes the limits of just like cold hard data and and statistics um and still wants those but like embraces the patient perspective as well um and this this changes medicine forever it's important to know that that this moment in history not just fauci but all of the the activists who who were involved today when you have a doctor prescribe you a medication do they just say take this don't ask me why just take it Trust me, I'm your doctor. No. What would you think if your doctor said that? I would be hurt and I wouldn't take it and the trust would be bad. Right. That this is why. I mean, this is this in a large this this philosophical approach that is embodied by this movement is in large part why now you talk to your doctor about medications. You have to be an advocate for yourself and your own health care. Yes, and about you having the autonomy, which should have already been a principle in our ethics, but to say, give me all the information and let me make the best choice for me, as opposed to the paternalistic view, which is, I'm the doctor, I know, look, I care about you a lot, but you don't know what's best for yourself, just trust me and do what I say, which I can't imagine ever saying to a patient, but that was standard prior You can imagine thanking him, probably. I have moments where, <laughs> where I think, please listen to me, please. I know what I'm talking about. But it's usually a vaccine thing. It's usually yeah. me begging somebody to get a flu vaccine. Yeah. But I also recognize at the end of the day that you're allowed to make whatever decision is best for you once you have all the information. Uh, but anyway, so this would change medicine forever. Uh, this interaction between Fauci and the activists and the, and the everything that surrounded HIV and AIDS. And Fauci would continue in his role at the agency to guide us through H5N1 and H1N1 and Zika and Ebola. And through all of these things, it it's he's continued to do research and and write about the big one, mm-hmm. the 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 big bad one that we're not prepared for. But to think about all the ways we could be prepared for it and to try to make the uh, right recommendations and get his information to the right people. And because we listened to him for all these years, that's why we've been so well prepared uh, (laughs) because we took everything he said very seriously and took it to heart. And that's why we basically crushed it. 
Hooray, America. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know. Knowing the right answers, or at least having, I would say that he has the right the right ideas that will lead us to the answers, uh, and getting people to pay for them and create the kind of um, infrastructures to enforce them and make them happen are two different things. Yes. And now we arrive at COVID-19 today. Um, so before I get into, I wanted to, I wanted to present all that about Fauci. So, you know, I, I believe he has, I think uh, beyond the obvious uh, scientific qualifications to do the things he's doing. He has a lifetime of experience um, and some really creative ideas that had we done them earlier could have been very helpful. Things like uh, um, a platform vaccine. I think this is fascinating. Uh, if we could have a platform vaccine that could adapt to a whole different like family of viruses, how much more prepared could we be for something like coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, if we had had a platform vaccine based on SARS and MERS and these older coronaviruses that we knew about, that we could just immediately adapt and make a, I saw it called a bespoke vaccine mm. for Artis this coronavirus. We could make them so much faster if we made if we put the time and energy into that. Same thing with like a, um, a, a flu vaccine that you could get once every 10 years instead of every year. There's so many... He, he has all these ideas, um, and hopefully, maybe now people will listen to him yeah, more. Yeah, take it all more seriously. That we're all turning to him. Yeah, I, I, I try to listen to Fauci for sure, but I'm hearing so many other things, Sydney, out there on the internet about about COVID, and I, I don't know what to believe. Well, Justin, I want to tell you about that, and um, you should believe me. I'm I know, I know, myths. but I'm on but, the internet but, so much, you right. could, you couldn't possibly. Okay, all right. Well, you couldn't possibly. There's way too much internet <laughs> out there to run all of it past you. Before I do that, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that... no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to... Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as... The palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although 
there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're going to talk about pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sid, you got to help me sort through all this internet I've consumed. I can't wait any longer. I've got so many great different ideas about coronavirus that I just, I have to, I have to hear the the truth. So a lot of, a lot of the emails that we got asking questions about coronavirus led back to misinformation from one person in particular. And I hate to, I, I really didn't want to present this episode as like, the good doctor and the bad doctor <laughs> because I don't want to, I don't want to put mainly these because mainly we're, we are a little bit behind on the good doctor. So <laughs> we didn't want to address, you know, I'm sure there's been some real, some real big shakeups um, with Freddie Highmore and the whole gang over there. But well, I don't, I don't want to put these two humans on equal footing because I, I believe that Dr. Fauci's uh, motivations are honest, you know, and I, do not feel that about this other figure. And I don't want to elevate them to the same level, mm-hmm. which by the way, there's a great profile on Dr. Fauci. A lot of this information came from uh, Michael Spector in the New Yorker. So in case you're curious, you can read a lot more about him because he's fascinating and a, and a very good, good stop guy. hesitating talking about this other person, Sydney. I want to talk about Dr. Shiva, um, who I think has a lot of, he's, he's managed to make some waves with some pretty outrageous claims, mm-hmm. um, m- more waves than I would have expected. Mm. This has come to me from multiple different avenues, not just emails from our listeners. And I always appreciate that avenue because that, again, tells me what's out there. But I've seen it on my own like Facebook feed. I've, I've seen it addressed in some of the groups I'm in by other doctors who are concerned about this information. And I've heard it echoed, not credited to him, but his ideas are gaining a foothold outside of him Mm. um, and as if they are new ideas from other places. And this makes me nervous because they, they seem so outrageous to me, but obviously there's something resonating here. Yes. So uh, Dr. Shiva, that's not, that's not his actual name, but that's the name he likes to go by. So I'm just going to call him Dr. Shiva. Um, He is a, He's a graduate of MIT, which I think that might have something to do with why people listen to him. Because, like, if you look at his academic credentials, if you look at his degrees, they're very impressive. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a medical doctor. He's a PhD in biological engineering. So he is a doctor. He, he earned the title doctor. Um, even though I think a lot of people would assume that if you're giving medical recommendations, you're a medical doctor. Yeah. He, he is not, he did not go to any medical school. Uh, but, but he does, he, he went to an impressive school and he has impressive degrees and I'm sure knows a lot of things. I would not debate that. Okay. Um, but just having a lot of information does not necessarily mean that you do, you, you make the best use of it. Uh, he, he believes he, he's a big defender of traditional medicine, but not, but only in like concept, not in the specifics. The, the practices of traditional medicine he doesn't necessarily endorse, but the idea of the body as a system is, mm-hmm. he believes, is something that traditional medicine understands. And by traditional medicine, I mean like... Um, Not alternative medicine. No, I mean, I mean alternative. I mean like medical traditions that are handed down through the centuries as opposed to what we learn, like scientifically grounded. Okay. I should say traditional as like um, folk medicine. Okay. That kind of medicine. Okay. He believes that there is a, because he studied that. That's what he was called that he studied. And he believes that there is a an idea of the body as a system that doctors don't get, but he does. Okay. Because of his work in like biological engineering and like computer systems and that kinds of thing. Mm-hmm. Like he thinks that we should look at the body like a computer or a car. Okay. Um. He, he believes a few other things that are, I think, are relevant to this conversation. He thinks that, like me, here, here's what he would say about me, because I am a, I am a doctor. I have an MD. Um, and I probably DOs, too. I assume both of us would be in the same boat here. That we are not inherently evil, but we're dumb. Okay. We don't learn things in medical school that are relevant to most people. We don't know how to keep people healthy or manage disease uh, because of our allegiance to big pharma. Our only interest is in giving you pills. and But we can't help it because we're just sheep. Your, and that's sure. all we're taught. Sheeple. Yeah. And uh, the only good thing that I could do would be like surgery, although I don't do surgeries, but a surgeon might have something to offer you or like in trauma. Like he says, if you fall or hit and hit your head or something, maybe a doctor could help you. Mm-hmm. So... Other than that, basically, everything we say and do is crap. Okay. Uh, he thinks that good health is mainly about maintaining homeostasis of your bodily systems. So balancing our humors. I didn't say that, but I certainly... I said it just I now. certainly see uh, echoes of this because the idea, his idea is that an external pathogen can't really cause a disease. Mm, bracing. Uh, it's, he says that we cycle through viruses and bacteria constantly, that we're just filled with virus and bacteria all the time. And like, and what's, what's hard about people like this is that that, that is not untrue. Right. We do fight off a huge number of viruses and bacteria all the time that you have no idea. Your body just takes care of, just disposes of instantly. And you didn't even know that you were exposed to it. But then sometimes we don't and then we get sick and that's the germ theory of disease. Uh, what he would argue is that it has nothing to do with the external factors as much as um, if we have balanced our systems appropriately so that our immune system 
is healthy. And he, he constantly refers to both a weak and overactive immune system, which seem counter like yeah that those are two different things but anyway it all you have to do is individualize to every single person what they need to do to make their immune system stronger um usually through vitamins and supplements and diet and exercise and those kinds of things which does sound a lot like the four humors Mm -hmm. and he also he talks about individualized medicine and i think that's another thing to to address because while individualized medicine means I think about you as a person and what exactly you need in your life and I help you achieve that goal and that seems like all really good, what he means is that if you get um, strep throat and I get strep throat, we don't necessarily both need an antibiotic for that. Okay. You might need this collection of vitamins and I might need this collection of vitamins because it's what's happening in our bodies is completely different. Whereas okay. I would argue, no, we both have strep throat. Yes. Right. Okay. Does that make more sense? Yep. Yeah. Uh, he argues thirdly that HIV did not cause AIDS, does not cause AIDS. It's a bad one. It's part of why he hates Fauci so much. He mm. takes a lot of aim at um, deep state Fauci, mm. mm-hmm, mm. as he refers to him. Uh, because he he was part of the researchers that the cover up to try to make it seem like <laughs> HIV caused AIDS. Uh, and so um, I don't I don't know how to HIV causes AIDS. There it is, folks. We broke it right here for you. So, but he believes it's so weird to say you believe otherwise. <laughs> you believe, I mean, he doesn't know that. He there. doesn't know that. He doesn't. That's good. Know that. That's good. Um. Fourth, he believes that vaccines harm our immune system and are unnecessary. Well, this is shocking. <laughs> this no, is shocking I know it's weird to think he'd be an anti-vaxxer. What a but, twist. Um, so what you can imagine where he comes down on a vaccine for COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when it comes to COVID-19 specifically, the and this is why he's, because I think he's been pushing a lot of this stuff for a while, Is my would be my guess, but we've all heard of him because of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says it, it is not a problem with the virus, but with our immune systems. And so if we just did the right things for our immune systems, nobody would get sick and we could fix everybody who already is sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't need meds except for sometimes hydroxychloroquine is in his combo. So actually that one's okay. Sure. But other meds, no, we need vitamins. Ah. D, A, and C yes. are the vitamins we need. Got it. Uh, and if we, if we would all take them, we wouldn't get sick. Like you could prevent getting coronavirus if you take enough of these. Well, this is huge. And if we, and and he also doesn't believe in social distancing. So what he says is basically if your levels of these vitamins are normal, go, go out into the world. You're fine. Your body will handle it. Yes, you're fine. You're not going to get sick. You're cool. If you have deficiencies, you just get them replaced and then go out into the world. You're fine. No problems. Um, and for people who are already sick, like in the ICU or whatever, they just need high dose infusions of vitamin C. Mm. So one sunny day, they're good. Ventilators make things worse. Ah, weird. Okay. That Why do we need so many? That's my question. Uh, well, and I mean, it's one of those where he uses the proof that like so many people who go on ventilators don't survive. So ventilators must be bad. Mm. Specious reasoning. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's hard, again, because, like, there there is a reason why you don't want to have someone on a ventilator longer than necessary, because there can be damage done to the lungs from the ventilator. But if they can't breathe without the ventilator, 
That's bad too. That's almost worse, one might say. Right. And so so I mean he's playing on things that have just enough truth in them that that you you could find other evidence for certain aspects of what he's saying out there in the world from mm-hmm. real doctors and so then it makes you question all of it right right because there's just enough in there to make you pause um to address these specifically so this let's is just gonna be quite a heel turn by the way if at the end of it you're like and so i get it now vitamins that's the way to do it no no okay no uh, so you didn't pause for that long <laughs> so let's address these these ideas the ones we haven't i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give the hiv aids thing any there's no space for that here. It's right. he's wrong. We're right. That's Easy. it. Uh, vitamin D. First of all, um, can you be deficient in vitamin D? Sure. I I'm Some kind of feel I, I feel I feel I'm pretty sure I am currently. There's a whole, <laughs> not getting my D. There's a whole argument to be made here where he also talks about how warm climates can help defeat the virus, which is like a a thought people have had. Like, will it be better in the summer? Everybody's been questioning that. Will, will we see numbers drop in the summer because everything gets warmer? And we have not seen like the highest rates of disease in the like tropical region of the world. So there have been all these questions about that. And he likes to play right into that. Yeah. Um, I would say that if if you're going to make the argument that people deficient in vitamin D and A are more likely to get sick of this, the highest le- levels of those deficiencies are actually in the developing world in the tropical parts of the world too, where the most people aren't getting sick. Uh, yeah. So vitamin A deficiency to start with is extremely rare outside of the developing world. Um, you do not have a vitamin A deficiency. I do not have a vitamin A deficiency. There's no need to give us vitamin A. And that would be true for the vast majority of Americans period. Vitamin D deficiency does occur. Again, it's not, common but it does it does occur um vitamin d if you are deficient in it yes there are a number of reasons why it it would be good to take a supplement uh however both of these and vitamin c we can throw in there all these things all they do is help to they have some function in supporting our immune system but there is zero evidence that normal levels prevent disease or in any way help treat disease Mm -hmm. we've done this research we know this or else we would have been giving you vitamins for a long time. But we're not telling you to take vitamin A. Why do you because we did the research, it doesn't it doesn't prevent disease, it doesn't treat disease. Yes, we should maintain normal levels for a variety of reasons. That's not one of them. Vitamin D is actually bad in an inflammatory state. There are actually reasons why you wouldn't want to give somebody vitamin D if they are acutely ill. Hmm. Um beyond that, vitamin C, there's we've done a whole show on vitamin C. There's a ton of misinformation about what vitamin C can and can't do. And there are researchers still studying it. This is not, uh, this is something that he's putting out there and people will think is groundbreaking, but people have been studying vitamin C in sepsis and in ARDS, which is the severe respiratory condition that a lot of these patients seem to deteriorate to. Mm -hmm. Uh, People have been studying this for a while and there have actually been some studies that have thought like, well, maybe a vitamin C infusion alongside usually thiamine and some steroids might be beneficial in some patients. The data was, mm, we weren't sure there were some problems with some endpoints. And anyway, this is already being studied. There's even a, there's a protocol out there, the Merrick protocol, which is already something that they try in ICUs. None of this is new. None of it is going to cure COVID. 
it is an area of research, uh, but it, it, he is not telling you anything that scientists haven't already looked into for a long time. And I think it's very frustrating to see not only is it bad science, but it's, it's, it's stuff we already are thinking about. Right. He's saying that doctors won't tell you. No, doctors are thinking and, and looking into this stuff and disregarding what doesn't work and pursuing the things that does. He wouldn't know, though. Right. Because he didn't go to medical school. Get him. So he doesn't know what we learned. Got it. When he says that we don't know anything about the immune system, I would say, well, you didn't go, so you probably wouldn't know what we know about the immune system. There it is. Got um, it. And when it comes to things like it's not, you know, disease isn't, COVID isn't due to coronavirus, AIDS isn't due to HIV. Robert Koch, in the late 1800s, came up with a series of postulates so if you want to know if so, how we decide does something cause disease, we can dig back into history. Uh, 1890, a German physician, Robert Koch, who said, if a bacteria is present or a virus in every case of a disease and you can isolate it from the host and grow it and then you can give it to a healthy person and they get that disease and then you can isolate it from that person and grow it, it is the causative agent of the disease. This is, a, this is an established scientific truth that we have known for a long time. And there are caveats and exceptions and specific ways. There are some things that are hard to grow and that kind of thing. But generally speaking, this is how we know that these things are true because of science. And we don't guess. And it's not politically motivated. It's fact so Right. Base. Yes. So unless you have been diagnosed with an immunodeficiency, your immune system works. That is not the problem. And vitamins will not prevent this and vitamins will not fix this. And if you, especially if you eat, if you live in the developed world and you eat a varied diet, you probably don't need any supplements. And if you do have certain dietary restrictions, you probably already know the supplements you need. Mm. Um it has nothing to do with an imbalance in your homeostasis. So why I so why are we saying all this stuff? Why 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 is anybody telling the truth about vitamins? <laughs> I there's a lot of I mean, I don't want to get into what Dr. Shiva's political motivations are. I think it's pretty clear if you watch any of his videos. I mean, he's running for the Senate. So I think I think you can guess where he stands on a lot of it. Well, you don't have to guess. He'll tell you where he stands. He wants us to open everything back up immediately and in social distancing. Um, and I would say that if we immediately open everything back up and in social distancing, that could be catastrophic. And I think Dr. Fauci made that very clear in the press conference that we watched last night mm -hmm. um, where we where the plan to what open America up or whatever plan to open up America again. Yes. Where, where that was laid out for us. <laughs> it's inspiring too. inspiring name. It gets me psyched. Mm -hmm. um, some, some things that specifically he, he claims that I think have misled some people is that it, if you want to know that everything he's saying is true, just look at our response to this compared to H1N1. And, we did not do all of these things that we're doing now it, during uh, the 2009 H1N1 pandemic because we uh, did not want to 
there were not forces seeking to destroy the presidency of Barack Obama the way mm-hmm. that they are seeking to destroy the presidency of Donald Trump. A couple of things. The mortality of H1N1 seems to have been quite a bit lower. We still don't know final mortality of COVID-19, but estimates are between 1% and 2%. Whereas the estimates of H1N1 were a lot more similar to the seasonal. The seasonal flu is around 0.1%. H1N1 was certainly, it it did not appear to be any worse than that. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. There was some partial immunity to H1N1 among older segments of the population, if you remember, from older flu vaccines that they had gotten, older vaccines, um, which we do not have any immunity to this whatsoever. This, the R0, how many people you are likely to infect if you're sick, seems to be a little bit higher for this, I think if you look to past, you, you can see that this, unfortunately, COVID-19 has just the perfect array of um, qualities. Mm-hmm. SARS was very deadly, but not nearly as infectious. H1N1 was very infectious, but not as deadly. And then this is both. This is, is both, it, it, which is bad. And, and that does not mean that it's hopeless. We are doing the right things. Staying home. You know, washing your hands, wearing a mask in public, uh, limiting, you know, protecting parts of our society that are specifically at risk, you know, protecting our our elderly. These things are working, which is why you're going to see people say it was an overreaction. This was all for nothing. Because it worked. Because it works. If it works, it's then we didn't need. You gave a really good example to me yesterday about the. the I, I stole that. I forget who I saw tweet this. I saw this on Twitter though. I, I'd yeah. like to credit them, but I don't. I just saw it and I don't remember who tweeted it. But essentially, it was at this point saying that we can stop social distancing is like saying, uh, "I have jumped out of the plane," and. My parachute opened and I am floating gently to the earth and I am not plummeting to my death, which is proof that I never needed the parachute to begin with and cutting the strings. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget if anybody knows who said that, I'll, I'll mention them on the show next week. But I, I saw that that comparison and uh, it wasn't I'm not quoting them, but that was the idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a good a good way to think about it. Like we're, we're doing the right things. Let's continue floating gently to the earth. I know it's frustrating I know it's scary. I know there are a lot of other reasons to be concerned. I understand how many people are out of jobs and I understand, um, you know, all of the repercussions, economic and, and, you know, health insurance and all the things, uh, homelessness, everything that stems from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the answer is not to just undo it all um, because I, I don't think anybody feels morally okay with just what did... Uh, Dr. Oz say be about a two or three percent increase in mortality if we open the schools schools, and that was appetizing I don't see how that's appetizing man we've managed to keep doctor (laughs) we've managed to keep Dr. Oz out of the show for uh, a little bit now we may have to circle back around on old draws on old draws I mm, love to revisit um, draws some other things uh, I don't essential oils certainly don't work for COVID Dang it. Why am I drinking um, so much of them? They, they won't help. If people are trying to sell you those, please don't buy them for COVID to prevent or treat. Um, there are a variety of vitamin cocktails. A lot of them include zinc and like really high doses of melatonin, 
that I've seen floating throughout the internet. Um, I don't, I'd say that some of this is based on the same things that this Dr. Shiver is saying, but the melatonin thing, I wonder if it's just to put you to sleep so you don't think about it. I don't know. Cause they're really high doses of melatonin. Uh, I've also seen, of course, wait, before you move on, Sydney, I want to munch squad. Welcome to Munch Squad's podcast with another podcast highlighting the latest and greatest of brand eating. I have a special first Munch Squad within a Sawbones I wanted to share with you. I don't know about this. Smoothie King is adding an immune builder veggie superfood option that I thought you would be so excited to hear about. Given the heightened focus on immune health around the world, Smoothie King is launching a new flavor to its Immune Builder Smoothie lineup. It's this it's veggie superfood smoothie. It's going to debut, uh, just debuted April 14th. Um, it, and it, it's got non-GMO fruits and vegetables like organic spinach, kale, carrots, ba- bananas, and dates. And uh, it has immune support enhancer, which contains 800% of guest daily vitamin C plus zinc, iron, and calcium to support a healthier immune system. Is that... Get, so this should knock it out. This no. should knock it out. No, I mean, if you want to drink that because you enjoy it, you can. But do. But I. That's the thing. If you, if you want, I mean, eating a healthy diet, getting plenty of exercise, drinking plenty of water, getting a good amount of sleep, um, engaging in activities that make you feel calm and at peace and fulfilled with the world. These are all important things. And I, there is no doctor on earth that would tell you not to do them. So when he says doctors want to push pills on you instead of these things, that's such a false dichotomy. No, I want everybody to be able to do all those things. And I know right now it's hard. It, we take for granted because we live in a rural area. We can go outside in our backyard. There's nobody out there. It's just us. You know, you can't do that if you live in a city right now. And that's very, that's not good for our health. Right. But, but. I- I, I am I still want to ask you about the immune bill or veggie superfood and mixed berry smoothies. I feel like you haven't covered them exactly because I do want to hit you with this quote from uh, this, the Smoothie King CMO, Rachel Rebecca Miller. Uh, Supplementing your diet with healthy vitamin rich foods is more important than ever. And the veggie superfood smoothie is purposefully crafted to fulfill that need. So do you feel that's accurate? Do you think that this is going to knock it out, basically? No. Now, let me ask you this side question. If you go to Smoothie King via carryout and get a superfood smoothie, are you, in fact, (laughs) creating more hazard for yourself by by the nature of going to pick up this smoothie from another human being? I would not say that that is an essential trip. (laughs) I certainly wouldn't say that either, Sydney. I... I, I just, I that frustrates me when, and that's part of why I wanted to contrast Fauci with these ideas, is that I, as, a, as a doctor, I want, ideally nobody would need my services, right? <laughs> In a perfect world, yes. ever. I don't believe that that will ever be the world. We will always have things, you know, diseases and illnesses and things. And so my goal is to make people need me as little as possible and be able to take care of things for themselves as much as possible. And as much as diet and exercise and sleep and sunshine can do that, that's fantastic. But it would be completely naive of reality to say that that's all that all of us need. Mm -hmm. No, 
some of us need medicine every day. And sometimes we need a new vaccine to mm-hmm. prevent a deadly illness for all of us, which is which is the that's going to be the ultimate thing for COVID-19, I believe. Well, there's we could also shut off all the 5G, though. I don't even know how to but debunk. If we, sh- if we shut off all the 5G. I would refer you to Koch's postulates when it comes to uh, COVID-19 is caused by coronavirus, which is a virus. 5G is not a virus. Justin, could you explain better what 5G is? Because I'm a doctor. It's, and <laughs> it's basically phone food that flies in the air <laughs> to give your phone the food it needs of data. And I will say this. we If you need a good sort of... Uh, rejoinder but i believe is the word to that we um don't have 5g in west virginia and we do have coronavirus oh hey (laughs) so that's a pretty good that we're still on that lte tip so that's a good way to uh there you go i mean anecdotal but finally i fixed one (laughs) anecdotal but for a state of of human beings yes and we do even though even though it took us a while to find it we do unfortunately have coronavirus here uh i would just encourage everybody to remember all these things that people like this this character are saying they sound very simple and that's attractive especially right now because everything's scary Mm -hmm. and overwhelming and frustrating because we want to go about our lives i get it i do too We've been in this house a long time, mm. uh, a mm. long time. True. Uh, my children would say the same thing. I was. Yes. 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 And uh, I understand the attraction of those ideas. I would I would counter with the attraction of complexity. Complexity is that's what science is and that's what public health and disease management and crisis management. That's what all this is. It's complex. And that is challenging But if we work together and we find our way through that, that's so much more rewarding. Uh, That is what it it is, just that complex. Every time an expert says we don't know yet, it's not because they're keeping a secret from you or because it's been solved since ancient times and Dr. Shiva is going to tell you about it. It's because we don't know yet because that's the way science works. It's slow and it's hard and a lot of your preconceived notions are incomplete or or incorrect and you've just got to work through them and and watching that play out in real time is very hard i think because there are so many opportunities for people to take advantage of that process and make it seem like it doesn't work and that it's broken and that people don't know what they're doing but it just is that complex you just have to trust in people like dr fauci and give it time and know that we're going to be okay we need to maintain social distancing. There is no reason to think that any of that should end right now. That is just, it, it's wild to me to think mm-hmm. about that. Um, I would not, if they ended it in this state right now, we would not be leaving our home. No way. And continue to do the things you're doing, wear a mask and, and wash your hands and uh, stay safe, stay home, stay healthy, do whatever you got to do to, I know that it's hard, but. And. Shut up the 5G. I mean, you might as well shut it off. No, don't shut off the Thank 5G. Thank you so much for listening to our program, Sawbones. We hope you're hanging in there, doing okay. Uh, we we appreciate you very much. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thank you to you so much for listening. We appreciate you. Um, this is going to do it for us for this week, but be sure to join us again next time for Sawbones. 
And until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.